the joyous mistake of listening to Reinhard Bonnke on my way here. For those of you, if you know who Reinhard Bonnke is, you know what I'm talking about. But those of you who don't, he is an extremely fiery German evangelist that ministered in Africa, where he preached to nearly three to four million people at a time at some of his crusades. And as he was on stage, he was recounting a story where somebody asked him, and I'm going to do my best Reinhard interpretation, so please don't laugh at me too hard. They said, Reinhard, do you have to warm up to be a hot preacher when you are on stage? And Reinhard so lovingly replied, what do you mean warm up? I have the fire of God inside of me. There is no warming up. And I just said, praise Jesus that somebody knows how I feel. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, man, my, my youth group, you know, they, they, they get the furnace open like on maybe the second level. Because we try to keep it nice and warm. I don't want to throw fire at the beginning, man. I want to get us used to being in it. Uh, but today I finally get to open the furnace door. And I am extremely happy for that opportunity. So, to tell them what you're going to tell them today... To start with, baptism is our public display of affection towards Jesus. In the presence of the community of faith, that's all of you, that conveys four key ideas. Transition, affirmation, identity, and acceptance. I will warn you, I do talk fast. Sometimes it is like trying to drink out of an open fire hydrant. So thankfully we have live streaming where you can slow me down. In the bottom right-hand corner, when you go back and watch on YouTube, there's a settings icon that you can do half speed. So before completing my MDiv at Asbury Seminary, uh, I went to Kennesaw State where I majored in communication. So hooty hoo for all of you owls out there in here and online. One of the most important lessons that I learned and consistently use to evaluate myself and the world around me is this. We are always communicating. Communication happens in many ways, right? Primarily verbally through conversations or media, non-verbally through body language and symbolism. See, I talk with my hands. If you ever want to get me to shut up, just duct tape them like this, and I won't be able to speak. <laughs> Whether we're talking or silent, writing or displaying, what we are putting on, taking off, purchasing, or boycotting, we are communicating something. We are giving a message. When we communicate, we externalize our internal beliefs, and our internal beliefs are reinforced by what we surround ourselves and what we take in externally. So one of the funny examples, kind of of this principle, to me, are car bumper stickers. I love them. It's just so fantastic to see people's affections on display on their cars. My dad once said, whenever you move into a new town, go to like your local grocery stores, your Walmarts, whatever, and just check out the local wildlife. As you walk through the parking lot, you get to see who drives what, in what condition that it's in. How many bumper stickers are things that you like and things that you don't like. And it's honestly pretty helpful to figure out where you want to be. So here's a few bumper stickers, some that I've seen in the wild, some that I googled for your enjoyment. So one, the fact that no one understands you does not mean you're an artist. So this next one, I literally googled Whole Foods parking lot. I know, right? Wiccan's lives matter, coexist, you know, Mother Earth. So the same sort of thing, but from the opposite side of the political aisle. America! I mean, there is a capital T for Tennessee Vols with a Trump sticker underneath it. Save America. I mean, this is like, this is what's up right here. Man, you, you roll down through Colbert and you see some guy's truck, that's what it's going to look like. And lastly, the externalized affection is Jesus. I mean, look, at, you, mean, you want to talk about getting people's attention. They just went into the thrift store, rated the please take this out of our Goodwill box, hot glued it on top of their car, 
and then put mailbox gold stickers all over it. Now, it's not just on the sides, it's on the back of it too. I know, right? I mean, their, their license plate literally says to Jesus. I mean, that, that's a pretty potent externalization of what you got inside of you, right? So with all forms of communication, there's one important factor that decides the direction of the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And John preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His winnowing fork is in his hand and to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. I myself, John, did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So transition, affirmation, identity, and acceptance. These terms are intertwined with our public displays of affection, how we communicate. I found that it sometimes can be difficult to find a description of how we feel or think about issues like this. Sometimes it's easier to ask it in a question. So the following questions may seem simple, but they have major implications on how we process and display our affections. So transition, what will I become? Affirmation, am I worth loving? Identity, who am I? And acceptance, who is my family. You see, we identify with what we love, we affirm our affections and call them good, we transition our lives towards that which we love, and we accept others who share the same affections. Although this may sound perfectly good and reasonable, the question still remains within me, from what standard are we measuring these to? To put it plainly, are we acting as our own God, publicly displaying the affections that we deem worthy, or are we in faith stepping down from the throne of our hearts and letting the displays of our affection? Be the love of God towards a broken world. If John the baptizer had bumper stickers, they would probably say, prepare the way! Or, shall we gather at the river? Or my personal favorite, repent, you brood of vipers. 
How many times have I wanted to say that in the middle of a classroom in college? Repent, you brood of vipers. But a few key things here about this baptism. See, John was immersing his fellow Jews with a baptism of repentance. But why? What does repentance mean? And what is a baptism of repentance? Well, repentance, the Greek word, is metanoia. It is not just a change of mind. It's not just to say that blue is now green, or I like this and I don't like this, or I choose to flip a light switch on and off, if you will. Repentance is is a willful and purposeful change of life, turning totally away from what the Bible calls sin and turning to Jesus. Some of, y'all, some of y'all over here playing the hokey pokey in sin and you need to turn yourself around and walk right back to Jesus. That's what it is, y'all. Some of us standing over here, I did this skit when I was a kid called Sin in a Box and like you're standing there and it's like, oh, it's great, it's great. And everybody's like, bro, come out. And you're like, no, I won't do it. And then finally Jesus has to come along and show you that you have been trapped in this place. You are trapped in sin and the only way that we can get out is to reach out to him and to say, Jesus, I need you to get me out of the miry clay. I need you to get me out of the junk that I put myself in. I need you to get me out of the affections that I've chosen over the love that you have for me. The baptism of John was the Jewish rite of immersion and ritual cleansing for Gentiles who wanted to convert to be part of the family of God. You see, in the Gospel of Matthew, we hear John saying, You brood of vipers to the Pharisees, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I'll say it again. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able God is able to raise up children from these stones for Abraham. So John is calling out the Jewish people in their hypocrisy. Many of them, especially the Pharisees, believed, since we are descendants of Abraham, we are assured the promise. We are the elect, for we have the Torah, we have the commandments. We've been baptized through the Red Sea, coming out of Egypt in death and bondage and slavery. We've been baptized through the Jordan River at flood stage as the Ark of the Covenant progressed into the promise. It doesn't matter what our outsides look like as long as we wear the symbols of our faith and obey the laws on the outside where people are looking. Because there's covenant for that. Sound familiar? It should. Many Christians love the idea of the bumper sticker grafted in child of Abraham on the back of their car. Attending the newest churches with the least offensive TED Talks, which is not this one, and vibing with the best self-gratifying praise music, which ain't going to be found here, Y'all, I have been like weeping over this sermon all week. Many do not honor God with their lives. They do the socially expected norm of keeping our religion either in the church or simply to ourselves. And this is done to keep the face needed in order to be accepted in the world. But we have forgotten. Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You see, A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite theologians and In his book, The Radical Cross, Living the Passion of Christ, this is what he says. In every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. 
Perhaps this is at the bottom of the backsliding and worldliness among gospel believers today. We want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement, no dying. We remain king within the little kingdom of man's soul and wear our tinsel crown with the pride of Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadow's weakness and become spiritually unproductive. Jesus' moral spirituality is the lie that culture wants you to believe. It is what is preached at most churches that that want your money, that want you to boost their social media followings, that wants you to fill stadiums for the sake of numbers. It will tell you that it does not matter how you identify. It doesn't matter what you affirm. It doesn't matter where you're accepted. As there is no need for transition from death to life, you only need to mentally accept the idea of the gospel of Christ without a cross. Come as you are, leave as you came, so long as you identify as a buffet-style believer, taking what you like from Scripture and leaving the rest so that your plate has all that you want on it and nothing less. It is culturally acceptable and applaudable to live this way because it is unoffensive. We're not breaking the 11th commandment of thou shalt be nice. Y'all know it's true. Y'all know what's up. Paul has a different Paul has a different idea here in 2 Corinthians. This is the amplified version. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you don't say you Christian, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith as Savior. He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things have passed away. The previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. And behold, new things have come because of Jesus. We got to get in that, y'all. Now, for one of the greatest interjections in human history, in those days, Jesus... John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Say, Holy Spirit and fire. Holy Spirit and fire. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. In the Bible, people question, what good can come from Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? And I'll ask the same question. What good can come from a little country town in the middle of nowhere? What good can come from you living in a city that is depraved and broken that you may have came from, and yet you find yourself here in this believing body today? What good can come from where you've come from? If you have Jesus living inside of you, the very definition of good Where you go, what good can come from where you come from? What good can come from you literally being brought out of adoption? Your mom and dad may have not wanted you. What good can come from the situation from where you were born, how you were made, how you got here? Jesus. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you ask me? How many of us would have been wanted Jesus to baptize us, right? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. You see, uh, Dr. Craig Keener, in his uh, commentary on Matthew, he writes, John's location in the wilderness of Judea near the Jordan symbolizes the coming of a new exodus. The final time of salvation. You see, it's not a wonder that John could recognize the eternal significance of this place in this moment by exclaiming, Behold the Lamb of God! 
who takes away the sin of the world. See, John, through having the Torah of God, the laws of God written on his heart, on his mind, through his lips, does it sound familiar that the word of the Lord should be in your heart, that you should be renewing your mind with the word daily, that what you speak should be seasoned with salt, it should be the gospel. The Holy Spirit showed John that Jesus is the Lamb of God. John knew that Jesus would be the one to baptize with Holy Spirit and fire. John, as any of us would, wanted to be baptized. But see, and ordinarily, we associate baptism with this uh, being made clean, right? It's like, oh, you go into the water, you know, you come out and you're like, bless God, you're clean, you know? You, you, you put something in the washing machine, you pull it out, all the dirt stains and junk. Praise the Lord that my wife and us had to get all the crazy red mud dirt stains out of all of my hunting stuff. Out of all my everything, because Lord have mercy. Sometimes when I get outside working, it's just a big mud ball of mess. Praise the Lamb that there is a process to be made clean for us. Now, it's not through the act of baptism, but it's us saying yes to Jesus in recognition of what's messed up in here. The laundry of your heart needs to be made clean. Ordinarily, we associate baptism with this declaration of transition from death to life via immersion. So does this mean that Jesus had to be made clean before his ministry? No! What we have here is divine foreshadowing in this Exodus moment where the king of glory, identifying with the sins of his promised bride, his church, and accepting those whose hearts and life were prepared to see him as Messiah. Y'all, here's the thing, right? This whole motif of baptism in the Old Testament, you have God taking Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Some people would like to call that, if you will, the blood of Jesus is foreshadowing. Then we have Joshua leading Israel into the promised land while, while Jordan was at flood stage. They followed the Ark of the Covenant into the promise. But I'm here to tell you today, one of the biggest reasons why Jesus was baptized in the same spot that the promise of God went through the Jordan into the promised land is because Jesus, our mediator, still stands in the midst of the Jordan with the waters parted. For waiting for you to say, will you come from the wilderness of sin through me into the promise? Because I have parted the waters eternally for you to transition from death to life. Here stands the first, and great, the first great public display of the affection in the life of Jesus. In full submission to the God the Father, showing himself as Messiah, God with us, Emmanuel, who made everything, rules everywhere, loves everyone, and who can give us life forever. So what happened in that moment? What happened as Jesus said yes to the Father and publicly displayed his affection through baptism in our four key ideas? Here we see, and Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water. He saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. And I, John, have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. So Jesus, being fully God and fully man, sometimes I wonder if in his humanness he had these questions too. So in this idea of transition, when Jesus was baptized, he immediately came up from the water. What will I become? Jesus will become the sacrifice of sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Affirmation. The heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove in bodily form. Question. Am I worth loving? Something we all have asked ourselves. The Holy Spirit rested on the Son, affirming the Father's love for Jesus and that he will bring peace to God and man. I'm going to tell you right now, without the Holy Spirit, you don't have love. 
What love that we think we can give without the Spirit of God is worthless. Identity. A voice came from heaven. The Father says, You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So question identity. Who am I? The Father confirming the identity of Jesus. God the Son confirming the submission of Jesus as pleasing and fully righteous. Acceptance. I, John, have seen and have borne witness. I have accepted that Jesus is the Son of God. Who is my family? John saw the evidences of God, accepted Jesus as Messiah, and testified to the Jewish community that the Word of God is living among them. Those who have died believing in the promise before Jesus and those who are followers of Jesus into the future, they are the family of God. So I want to point out, though, an extremely important pattern that you find both here in life as we do the day-to-day and in Scripture. In our culture especially before our belief in Christ. We identify ourselves and then seek out a community that affirms who we have chosen to be or become. This unhealthy pattern is self-initiated, self-defining, and self-serving. This is inherent in our narcissistic culture that even tried to copyright the letter I before anything of value towards the building of self-image. iPhone, iCar, iHome, me, I, my, everything is about me, how I build myself up, how I make myself look, how I portray, display myself in front of the world. So let's look at these ideas again, but we're going to flip them and ask a different question. In a minute. See, culture and humanity says, I am God. I create myself to display my affections. I have the power or can attain the resources, social support, and legislative authority to create myself in my own image so that my affirmations and my acceptance agree with and enforce my affections and call them good. Human nature or sinful nature says, I choose to become my own God, wearing a crown of my own making, sitting on the throne of my heart, declaring my judgments and expecting others to bow to them. You see, this is even a problem for Christians as we read scripture, actually. We have this thing called eisegesis, where I put my own morals and ideas into scripture to make it fit my affections without compromise. We love to take the Bible, the, the, the objectively true statement of an objectively true God that, that objectively exists outside of time and space, who loves us and created us, who breathed galaxies into existence. We love to take his revealed word and just buffet, pickpocket it apart and put it in this pocket about, oh, this is how this is, and this makes me feel this way, and this, no. Scripture is Scripture. We can't just put ourselves in it wherever we feel like it. Which leads me to narcissus, or narcissistic eisegesis. We put ourselves in the story of the Bible as the hero, God's chosen person, the one who, quote, receives special revelation from God, when in fact the reality is much more appropriate. Many times we're Cain, jealous of Abel, Potiphar's wife desiring Joseph, we are Goliath opposing David, Rebecca deceiving Isaac, Peter denying Jesus, or even Judas kissing Jesus on the cheek during betrayal. But what happens when we say yes to Jesus? We know what happens when we say no and the effects of that. What happens when we say yes to Jesus for salvation and to display our affection publicly through baptism? What happens when we recognize that we are incapable of sin management? 
Y'all, that's one of the biggest messed up lies that have been put out by, quote, the church stuff in the past 20 years. You can't manage sin. Sin manages you. You can't schedule that thing in on a Google calendar. I'm going to go do this this time, and I'm going to do that that time, and I'm going to do this. No, sin strikes when it's the most appropriate to destroy what you love and to cause harm to everybody else in the middle of it. You may think that your sin is private. It is not. Your body keeps the score, and your words and your actions affect everybody else around you. What happens when we can't control our lives to perfection? What happens when we, quote, can't live our best life now? Shout out to Joel for that one. I call it out, y'all. I, I am not scared. Manifesting our dreams into reality or simply being a good moral person. The question is not where or to what you will run to. It's who you will run to, and his name is Jesus. It's not what you can run to. You have a Messiah-shaped hole in your heart. There's no amount of concrete you can pour in to fill it. There's no amount of houses you can buy to build up around it. It's still a sinkhole that's going to eat every house you put around it to disguise what's not there. You can't buy your way out of it. You can't spend your way out of it. You can't give your way out of it. It is there. We need Jesus. So let's reframe this a bit. What happens when we say yes? Transition. Through faith in Jesus, Scripture declares that God has brought me from death to life. Through baptism, the old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. So the question for us, what will I become when I say yes to Jesus in salvation and when I say yes to obedience in baptism? Being dead to sin, I just want to get that out there right now. Some of us don't live in this idea. We're still trying to play sin management. Being dead to sin, to the power, to the grip of, to the hold of, I will be a living representation of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. It ain't you. It ain't what you can do. It ain't your friends. Your mama's faith can't save you. Your daddy's faith can't save you. The faith of your community can't save you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit for the rest of my days. Transition. Affirmation. Through salvation in Jesus, Scripture says, I am loved by love. The Bible's right when it says God is love. God is the most objectively beautiful love that there ever is. If it were not for love, we would not have free will. Free will is necessitated by love. Through baptism, the bride of Christ affirms my eternal value, and the Holy Spirit seals me in his love. So the question, am I worth loving? I am worth loving because God, who is love, gave his only son so that when I believe, so that when I believe, so that when I believe, I will not die, but be with him forever. Identity. Through faith in Jesus, Scripture says, I am chosen, forgiven, and loved. Through baptism, I am publicly identified as a child of God, who am I. Some of y'all have been asking that same question for years now. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? You wake up and you look in the mirror. Who am I? God says, I am one of his children in whom he is well pleased because of Jesus. <laughs> Acceptance. Through salvation in Jesus, Scripture says I am a part of God's family. Through baptism, I am accepted and celebrated on earth and in heaven, on earth and in heaven, celebrated as part of the family of God. So who is my family? Now, the interesting thing is I chose to repeat this here for emphasis. Through faith in Jesus, Scripture says I am a part of God's family. Through baptism, I am accepted and celebrated on earth and in heaven as part of the family of God. The ones from the book of Hebrews, the hall of faith, 
and the uncountable masses of passionate believers who have walked with him and talked with him and whom he has said, you are my own. That is my family. When we say yes to Jesus, that is our family. So let's flip this around a bit. We know what culture says. We know what our human heart wants to say. Scripture says that God is greater than I. I am made by God to display His affection in God, in His beautiful power and wisdom and infinite creativity. He formed you in His own image so that His affirmations and acceptance agree with and empower His holy affections in your life. And He calls that good. I love in the book of Genesis when God creates something and He says, it is good. When you say yes to Jesus, you are made a new creation. And the beautiful thing is God looks at you and says, because of my Son, you are good. Through following God's holy affections, taking up my cross, I choose to let God be God, casting my crown at His feet, inviting Jesus to the throne of my heart, receiving His fair and righteous judgments, and inviting others to experience His faithfulness. I want to point out an extremely important pattern here in life and here in Scripture from the Jesus perspective. In the culture of the kingdom, God identifies us and places us in a community that affirms what He has made and what He has said in the body and bride that will help one another grow and become a The devil totally doesn't want that. Got me? Yes. <laughs> Listen, y'all, the devil totally don't want this sermon to be preached. We had six people get baptized spontaneously last sermon. Like, we're going for it, y'all. We're going for it. In the culture of the kingdom, God identifies us and places us in a community that affirms what he has made and what he has said. In the body and bride that will help one another grow and become a family. This healthy pattern found in scripture is God-initiated, scripturally defined, and other-serving. Calling us to be humble and esteem others above ourselves. This is against the I, me, my, I'm a get me, YOLO, whatever you like weird acronym to put in front that's trending on social media culture. The gospel stands against it. Because the Holy Spirit calls us to be second. Forsaking things of value that promote unbiblical affections. Can someone say idols? Yes. Idols in your heart, idols in your mind, idols in your life, in your car, on your life. It's everywhere. And God is calling us to destroy, bring them at his feet and say, you are worthy. Because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. The whole Jesus moral spirituality cult, whatever you want to call that, I guess you could try to call it a gospel, but it's utterly not. They want to tell you, they want to baptize you in this idea that, yeah, it's no longer you who kind of live. Christ does kind of live with you, but he only lives in your mind and how he shapes your words and how, he, how you think. No, there is a biblical spiritual reality that the old you, the old, decrepit, sinful, broken, crushed person is no longer alive. That when you said yes to Jesus, 
you stuck that hand out there and he grabbed you and he ripped you up out of that old life. And he lovingly brought you into new life and life in abundance. Because our past affections that were carefully managed on social media, in front of our friends, the clothes, the brands that we choose, the cars that we drive, the houses that we want to make sure that people seem are, quote, all put together, it doesn't matter anymore. You were made to be an imager, not in your image, a little Christ, a Christian, a Christian, as we were first called at Antioch, followers of the way, the truth, and the life. You see, in salvation and baptism is where our questions of what will I become? Am I worth loving? Who am I and who is my family are answered. They are answered in Scripture through the lives of our family in the faith and in the loving embrace of the Father. Y'all, baptism is such a deeply personal and spiritually intimate public display of affection towards Jesus because of what he has done for us. The waters of baptism facilitate the transition of, the affirmation of, the identity of, and the acceptance of the believer into the family of God. You see, coming out of the waters in the presence of the body communicate to the communities, whew, to the communities who knew and loved the old you, the one who could party till 2 a.m., the one who could drink somebody under a table, the one who could do terribly disgusting things that, that, that literally cause other people's flesh to be like, yes. All the mess that you were in that people said yes to that were apart from Christ, it is dead. To the spiritual and political powers that wrestled for your allegiance. I'm going to tell y'all right now, if the jersey that you're wearing every day doesn't say Jesus on it first, nothing in front of it and nothing else behind it, we got a problem. Because if we're out here trying to put out in front of everybody, I'm a, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or, or I'm part of this community, that community. There is only one community that you're a part of now that you're a Christian. And it is the family of God. It is the kingdom of God. There's nothing else. All tribes, tongues, nations, powers, principalities have been made his footstool and all people will declare on bowed knee that Jesus is the son of God. There's nothing that you can cling to. There's nothing that you can affirm. There's nothing that you can identify with as whatever that is greater than what God has done. It's not a change of mind. It's an entire resurrection. You were dead in your trespasses, and now you're alive in Christ. The personal practices and habits that have plagued you. Y'all know what that is. Wondering at 2 a.m., will I ever have the joy? Will I ever be free? Will I ever stop doing that which I know hurts me and other people? The patterns of sin you once cherished as part of your identity in the communities you were involved in. In and through Jesus, internally and externally, your old life has died. And now Jesus, the hope of glory, lives in you. I want to go ahead and call the worship team up. I'll let them begin to, to take their stations up here. When David, when David had asked me to, to preach this message, um, I prayed about it and prayed about it, and I finally said yes. And when I had said, when I had said yes, I felt the Lord put on my heart, as God would do in his, in his loving lovingness. He kind of like, you know, nudged me, and he's like, you know what would be fun to do? You should call for spontaneous baptisms. And I'm like, come, like, Jesus, don't do this to me. Like, come on, man. And then two days later, when I told David, I feel at peace about preaching on this. You know what the first thing he said to me was? You know, it'd be cool is if he called for spontaneous baptisms. 
And I was like, don't do this to me, Jesus. Why can't I just preach a nice, beautiful sermon in front of my new family and like not, not you know, throw out the sword here? And the other day, about two or three days ago, uh, the Lord put it on my heart to, to go to a couple thrift stores um, and to pick up as many towels as I can find. We, we literally went through almost half of them in the first service. And I get to, I get to the register and I'm holding all these, I'm, I have all these towels in a basket and I begin talking to the, to the lady who was at the register. Um, and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're doing baptisms. I'm preaching on the baptism of Jesus on Sunday. Um, and she told me, she goes, I've been looking to be baptized for three or four months. Where's your church? And so I was like, I got, give me your number. I will find you a ride. If you, if you want to be baptized, we can do that. And I'm telling y'all, some of you here and now, Jesus has your number. Jesus has got your number. There's an old gospel song that says, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. There you go. Yeah. God has got your number today. Some of y'all out here feeling something inside, something is going on within you. And I'm not doing this for the sake of emotion. I'm doing this in affirming what the people who got dunked into the bride of Christ said last, literally last service. Something happened within me. If you are here and want to be baptized and don't know Jesus as your savior first, after repentance and a confession of faith, the waters are open for you. If you are here as a Christian and want to be baptized as a sign of repentance and rededication, the waters are open for you. This altar is open for you. The waters are open for you. I'm telling you guys, I would rather spend a few hours in soggy clothes or a tear-stained shirt or scuffed up knees in La Perea or whatever fancy restaurant you want to go to to celebrate new life with your new family of faith. Seeing a heart of stone change and begin beating for the first time. Celebrating having your tears back after years of wondering if you could ever weep again. Dancing and raising your hands and singing when His yoke has come upon you. And the heavy burdens of this world have been lifted from you. Or praising God for reminding you of the joy of your salvation. Guys, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But some of you can raise your hands in your hearts. And you can admit the fact that you've forgotten the joy of your salvation. You forgot what it felt like when God entered into your heart. And all you wanted to do was tell people about Jesus. All you wanted to do is say, if you knew the love that I had. Some of you have forgotten that. Let Jesus give it back to you today. I would rather be changed by God right here and right now than waiting at the line at McDonald's wondering whether if my order will be right and what would have happened if I obeyed the beckoning in my spirit the burning in my heart to come and experience new life, to lay down the old man into Christ and have him pick us up out of the grave. Y'all, Easter is like two or three weeks away. One of my favorite parts about the Easter story is that when they came to the tomb and they were looking, the grave clothes were folded. Now, some of you, it may not seem like a big deal, but what that signifies is that the grave clothes weren't everywhere. It was not a struggle. It was not a struggle for the Son of Glory to get up out of the grave. It was not a struggle. He got up. He folded them. He said, they did steal my body. This isn't a body double. This is no trick. I got up. With purpose, I folded my grave clothes so that you would know that I am alive. Some of us need that today. Some of us have literally made our identity in the tombs. You've lived in your grave long enough. It is not a struggle. For God to get you out of the clothes of your death. 
and to fold them and to take you and clothe you in righteousness, in faithfulness, in love that you've been longing for. So take all the things that were sinful, all the things that were works of death that hurt you, abused you, destroyed you, plundered you, ravaged your minds, ruined your body, wrecked your relationship with family and community, and raged against the love of God to the altar or into the water. Jesus said, if you should thirst, if you should fear, if you are lost, you can come to him. Because Jesus communicated both in baptism and on that cross that he will run to you. If you want to come out of a life that has kept you separated from the love of God, a life that has been scarred with unfulfilled dreams of family, of friends, of who am I? Am I worth loving? What will I become? Come to Jesus. The altar is open. Our prayer teams will be around for for repentance, forgiveness, healing, and salvation. And the waters are open for our display of affection towards God. See, our baptism is our public display of affection towards Jesus in the presence of our community of faith. Transition, affirmation, identity, and acceptance. We're going to spend a little bit of time in a song for response, and then we're going to open the waters for baptism. These altars are open right now for you to come up here and spend time with the one who made you and the one who loves you and the answerer of these questions. Through the dark 